Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. We're on Wednesday hump day. All right, we're going to have some fun. We've got Congresswoman Lauren Boebert on the show. Yes, she has made an enormous impact in Washington. Almost every day she's creating waves, challenging people, standing up for her values. Uh, She's a freshman with outsized, uh, incredible reach and media reach and messaging and we have her on the show today. So you better buckle your seatbelt. This is going to be a fun ride. Lots to talk about, lots of energy, lots of ideas. I, I've been talking about this a lot on this show. The future of the 2022 election won't be settled on personalities. It won't be settled on ballots. It won't be settled on anything but ideas. Americans are craving ideas that work. There are many of them that are working, were working. Uh, that have been reversed, and now we're seeing the impact of that today. I I really want to talk to the Congresswoman about this. When President Trump left office on January 20th, there were three fairly stable parts of the uh, American experience. The economy, even after COVID, was in pretty reliable shape. Gas prices were low. Uh, Unemployment was doing quite well, given the, the magnitude of the pandemic's strike against American businesses. Uh, we had a stable border with record low illegal migra- migration going on at the border, southern border. And, of course, we had a very stable Middle East. In fact, Arab Gulf states were making deals with Israel, the Abraham Accords, and we had all three of these extraordinary areas that often can be volatile. The economy is often volatile. The border can be volatile. Uh, the Middle East has always been volatile. And uh, all three were in solid, good shape. And then Joe Biden came in and he enacted the very policies he said, listen, you got to give the man credit. He is doing exactly what he and Kamala Harris said they were going to do. But now, three or four months into uh, the Biden presidency, we now see that elections do have consequences. Israel under attack with Hamas, uh, by Hamas, and in, in, in one of the gravest moments of security in Israel in several years, maybe going back to the 2014 war with Hamas, uh, which, by the way, occurred on Obama's watch. And a lot of people say the problem there is we sent a mixed message. We've always said we stand against terrorism, but then we negotiate with Iran again. We open the door, and all of those who uh, believe in terrorism, state-sponsored terrorism, uh, terrorism against the civilians, 
have been emboldened and you see what happens in the Middle East and it begins to derail. In the United States, gas prices up. All prices are up four plus 4% inflation uh, at an annual rate uh, in the uh, month of April. A big warning sign. People have been warning about this. Even Larry Summers, Clinton Treasury Secretary, liberal, was warning that the policies of Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, Janet Yellen, could very well tip this country toward a financial crisis. We're seeing that. If you went home last night and you were driving home, at least in Virginia, where I live, there were gas lines that were a half mile long, around the block twice. People waiting and panicking to get gas because of the cyber attack on a single pipeline in the United States. With all of our energy resources, the richness of our natural gas and gas, you would think that we wouldn't be so dependent on a single pipeline in America. And yet, if you looked out your car window, Driving home last night, you saw long lines, people panicked, energy prices going up, uh, gas prices now, uh, I saw three to 350, depending where I drove as I came back from New York, uh, big jumps in gas prices. You know where that money comes from? It's not coming from the U.S. government. It's coming out of your or my pocket. And so the economy, we, we missed a major jobs milestone last week. We way underperformed on jobs. The stay-at-home federal benefit uh, increases keeping people out of the marketplace. A lot of people worried about that. We're going to talk to Congresswoman Lauren Boebert about that. And then you've got a uh, a third crisis, the one at the border, which is extraordinary. Last night, eight, it was announced that the number of uh, illegal migrants who attempted to enter the United States was 178,000 last month, the most in two decades. High gas prices, rapidly growing inflation unrest in the Middle East that had been stable for so long, and then a open border in crisis, overwhelmed uh, Customs Border and Patrol folks. In fact, you know, it's interesting. Take a look at the statement. There was one interesting thing in what the acting chief of the um, Customs Border Patrol person said last night. The acting chief said, he used the word illegal migration continues to expand. He used the word illegal. Remember just a month ago, the Biden administration, the Homeland Security Department saying, don't use the word illegal anymore. That's not what we're going to use. The CPP is defying that. They clearly called it illegal migration in their statement last night. Why? Because it is, and it's a crisis. And the people fighting it, CPB, are tired. They're worn. They're beaten down. And they know they didn't have to have this crisis if there was better planning, better messaging, better policies. They saw in December what the Trump policy did at the border. And now they've seen what the Biden policy has created in just a few short months, a two-decade high in uh, uh, illegal migration, 4% inflation, gas lines that look like the Jimmy Garter gas lines of the 1970s. America is in crisis. The Biden presidency and its policies have spawned multiple crises from the gas lines to Middle East rockets to uh, border insecurity all of that's occurred in a very short month, a few months, and it's a reminder that elections do have consequences. And to his credit, Joe Biden's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Uh, in fact, he'd like to do more, except there are some in the Senate holding him back. S1, HR1, the, the election federalization bills, uh, as Newt Gingrich likes to call them, the Corrupt Politicians Act, or acts. Um, those haven't gotten through, but what he has gotten through has had consequence. And when you look out, on this day, in the middle of May of 2021, four, a little over four months into 
We're almost four months into the Biden presidency. Uh, the consequences of the policies are real. People are seeing it in their wallet, in their security, uh, in their outlook on life, in the inflation outlook that they have. Uh, this is a moment of enormous challenge and crisis in America. The Biden presidency has spawned and now must address the issues that we just talked about. Very important. We're going to talk to Congresswoman Lauren Boebert in just a second about that very important uh, conversation to have with someone who really knows what's going on. All right, now, before we get there, I want to go back to a case I've been following all the way back to 2018. Many others have not followed it in a long time. But uh, we know that John Durham has been looking at some aspects of the Clinton Foundation and whether an FBI investigation was squashed at the end of the Obama years, the Obama-Biden years. Very important to take a look at that. I think that's one piece of the puzzle. A second piece of the puzzle that we must look at on a regular basis is uh, did the IRS do anything to investigate the Clinton Foundation? Were they collaborating with the FBI in the alleged 2016 investigation? Well, there are two financial investigators. Their name is Larry, uh, names are Larry Doyle and um, John Moynihan, very well-respected uh, forensic financial investigators. Moynihan, I think, did a lot with uh, the DEA and federal agencies, uh, Doyle with you know big Wall Street firms, and they filed a whistleblower complaint back in 17 that became public in 18 through my reporting shortly before they appeared before a House uh, committee and, and divulged they had filed a whistleblower complaint at the IRS alleging the Clinton Foundation and maybe its accountants and others were engaged in potential uh, uh, illegal acts or inappropriate acts, whatever you want to call them, that's what whistleblowers bring to light. Um, and now, almost three years later, four years after they filed the complaint, three years after it became public, a U.S. tax court judge is involved in the case. And the, in late April, he gave a ruling under seal that we've been able to get unsealed and made public. Just the news obtained this ruling by applying to the judge's chambers, by applying to the clerk of the U.S. tax court. And we got this April 22nd, 2020 ruling by Judge Gustafson of the U.S. Tax Court, in which he orders the IRS to reveal to him whether or not it had a criminal investigation of the Clinton Foundation open at some point. And in so doing, he cited a mysterious gap in the record, saying there is evidence that suggests there was a criminal investigation. The submissions to the court by the IRS, by its whistleblower office specifically, are inadequate, potentially misleading. And he remanded this whistleblower complaint back to the IRS and said, your whistleblowing office has an obligation to fill in this gap to let us know, was there a criminal investigation of the Clinton Foundation? Was it prompted by anything these whistleblowers brought to light? Who was involved? How did it end? Why did it end? All of those questions must be brought back before the court. These whistleblowers have forced an extraordinary and unusual ruling by the tax court to get involved and say, I'm sending this back to the IRS because they haven't been straight with me. Some very cogent, powerful lines in the, uh, the ruling today. If you, if you had a chance to read it, you'd see right away really interesting sentiments by the judge. And uh, I, I thought one of the most interesting quotes at the end of the ruling kind of got at the idea of where this may end up going. Obviously, uh, the court can't insinuate itself and say you should keep investigating, can't order it to investigate. But at the very end of his ruling, I found this important language. 
that this is Judge Gustafson of the U.S. Tax Court here in Washington. There are facts and information uniquely within the knowledge of the whistleblower office at the IRS that need to be considered in connection with the resolution of the petitioner's claim, the whistleblower's claim. This guy is Doyle and Moynihan, two respected guys. They testified in the House back in December 18. These are important uh, exclusive uh, claims that have been made by these two whistleblowers. And the judge who called it a gap in the records. Remember gap, man, always brings back Rosemary Woods in the 19-minute uh, gap in the Nixon tapes. There are a gap, there is a gap in the record, the administrative record that the IRS presented to the court when it tried to get the court to uh, give a summary judgment, get rid of this case. The judge said, no, I'm not going there. I want answers. What did you do? Why did you do it? When did you do it? And was it in any way related to the whistleblower complaint that the um, whistleblowers, John Moynihan and Larry Doyle, present it to the IRS and then litigate it through the U.S. tax court? Keep an eye on this case. I think we may be able, we may see forced into the public limelight details about what the IRS did or didn't do about the Clinton Foundation and all of its pay-to-play allegations, all of its alleged um, irregularities. Remember, a couple of years ago, when I was still at the Hill, I wrote a very important story that put into the public limelight, uh, into the public knowledge, into the public uh, state of debate, documents showing its own internal auditors had concerns about the Clinton Foundation going back to 08, as late as 13 they did a series of reforms. They said made things better. But the question is, did all those things that occurred before repairs were made, before uh, pay-to-play was ended, if it was, I'm, I see evidence that continued on even after 2013. But if it, it did those things get repaired, was there any criminal or civil liability by the foundation's actions? We don't have that answer. I know John Durham's looking at it. I know Moynihan and Doyle and their whistleblower complaint make clear they think illegalities and inappropriate things occurred. The foundation denies it. I think this judge, Judge Gustafson, at the U.S. Tax Court here in Washington, D.C., may give us some final answers, some final clarity, open the door to understanding whether there should be or should have been or was denied accountability in the Clinton Foundation under the tax laws of this great country. All right, one last thing before we go to commercial break. When we come back, Lauren Bobert, very important um, uh, interview coming up. Our first time having her on the show. She obviously is a big champion of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. She's got a lot of laws she's introducing and ideas. She's brought energy and determination and, and a grit to a Republican caucus that it sometimes was a little wishy-washy over the years. Uh, that's a word you don't use when you talk to Lauren Bobert. She is not wishy-washy, determined, full of ideas, full of energy, uh, takes no guff. Really interesting interview on the horizon here in just a few minutes. Now, one of the things we're going to have to ask her about is the breaking news that occurred about 920 this morning. That's right. The House Republican Caucus, led by Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, uh, stripped Lynn Cheney of, well, I'm sorry, Liz Cheney of her uh, leadership position. She was the number three person in the House GOP. She was the conference chair, the ideas woman in many respects. And she has been moved aside by a clear vote. Uh, Republicans do not want to be speaking with multiple voices as they go in to the 2022 election. Lynn Cheney's mistake was to let her feud and disagreements with 
the Republican, uh, with uh, former President Donald Trump, eke into her job, eke into her persona, eke into her messaging. Republicans want a united front when they go into this um, next election, and they don't want any naysayers in their leadership. And Lynn Cheney was cut off, ended, kicked out, finished. She's no longer part of the Republican leadership, and uh, she now faces a very real challenge in her home state of Wyoming about whether she'll even keep her House seat in 2022. Republicans looking to launch a major uh, challenge to her, uh, but a very important uh, warning. And it goes back to something I once learned from former President George Herbert Walker Bush. I had the pleasure in 2011, 2012, I can't remember the exact year, it was toward the uh, uh, end of his career, his life, his extraordinary life in public service, president, CIA director, China ambassador, war hero, shot out of the sky, uh, uh, so many things he did, RNC chairman. But most importantly, I asked him once, and all the times you were with Ronald Reagan, was there, what was one of the most sage advice, pieces of advice he gave you? And he said, he always said, after remember Bush and Reagan had been bitter rivals during the 1980 Republican primary, and then they merged the party together. Uh, when Ronald Reagan won nomination, he picked his runner-up to be his um, uh, vice president, sewing together the more conservative side that Ronald Reagan represented with George Bush, the more New England liberal side of the Republican Party, unified party. And I asked President Bush, well, you know, what was one of the more sage pieces of advice President Reagan gave you? And he said, never pull the pin of your hand grenade when you're in your own foxhole unless you quickly intend to throw it at the enemy. In other words, don't blow up your own. Don't let your personal disputes, your your vindictive disputes, your disputes over personality policy, keep them in-house, keep them in the foxhole. Don't blow people up. Don't shoot your own team in the back. Don't wound them with a political grenade. And Lynn Cheney did not abide by that. Liz, I'm sorry, I keep calling her Lynn, her mother. I'm so sorry. Liz Cheney did not abide by that sage advice. She made her dispute with President Trump defining of her time as the number three Republican exactly what Republicans didn't want. They want a unified party. They want the conference chair to be focused on ideas, not personality disputes within the party. She was viewed as divisive, backwards-leaning, disengaged with her own membership, disengaged with the America First agenda that has clearly become the hallmark of the Republican Party today. Yes, Donald Trump changed the Republican Party, love it, like it, whatever, hate it, whatever it is, you must acknowledge it. America First is the primary gender of the Republican Party. Lynn Cheney was not on board with that, was not on board with keeping her disputes private. She went public. She kicked up a lot of dirt, and now uh, she is without a leadership job and, quite frankly, under great duress to win, even for a chance to win an opportunity to Buy for her seat again in next year's election. There's going to be some major challengers. Big thing. We're going to talk to Congresswoman Lauren Boebert about that. She was a big critic of Liz Cheney. We're going to talk about that in a few seconds. But first, let's go to commercial break. When we come back, our exclusive interview with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert for the great state of Colorado. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? 
Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody who's making a huge mark in Congress already, that congresswoman from the great state of Colorado, Lauren Boebert. Congresswoman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It's great to be on with you. You know, uh, when we left the Trump presidency and you were just coming into Congress, there was this interesting dynamic. The places that were most stable, the economy, uh, the Middle East, uh, and now we, and the border, and now the border's a mess, the Israel and Middle East is a mess with uh, Hamas attacking, and of course our economy's got inflation and crises all about it, missing job numbers. What, what has happened in such a short period of time? What, what makes you most concerned about the approach that's caused all these crises? Uh, well, weak leadership is the cause of all of these crises. Uh, everything that we're seeing from the crisis at the southern border, uh, from our infrastructure being hacked, uh, from uh, what's going on in Israel. Hamas would have never uh, tried this with, with a strong leader in the United States of America. Uh, Israel is our ally. And, uh, and unfortunately, because uh, we have weak leadership right now, they are paying the price for it. You know, I saw one of your tweets in the last 24 hours. I think it really, really hit a mark in terms of the CIA. This is what the CIA should be doing, right? They should be letting us know about potential threats from hackers. They should be uh, understanding when Hamas is moving to take action. You were very critical of the CIA saying they're focused on the wrong, wrong thing, a woke agenda rather than intelligence. Uh, what, what's your assessment of the agency right now? <laughs> it's a joke. I mean, um, this is very clearly the fourth branch of government that the Democrats control. And uh, it, it, this, this is um, as, as deep state as it gets, as establishment as it gets. And uh, none, none of these people in these agencies actually look out for the best interests of the American people. Um, it's all about progressing uh, 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 this um, very liberal agenda and, and putting this forward and, um, and then keeping close the, the people that they are indebted to and want to be here for the rest of their lives. Um, this, this woke agenda that they've been promoting is uh, destroying Americans and, and our livelihoods. Uh, we have real issues uh, that need to be uh, addressed and um, concerns that need to be um, problems that need to be solved. And we're not seeing that with Democrat leadership. As you, you look out, uh, today was a very big moment. We had the caucus meeting this morning. Lynn, uh, Liz Cheney's been bumped out. Uh, what message does this send to the Republican Party and to, for that matter, to the Democratic Party about where Republicans are heading into 2022? Uh, well, Republicans are uh, finally taking a stand and, and getting a backbone and uh, removing people from leadership who do not promote uh, American first agenda, the Trump, the Trump policies. President Trump really pioneered the way for, uh, for this new Republican Party, and he's very much the leader of the Republican Party. Uh, and uh, folks here in D.C., it's very easy for them to get in this D.C. bubble and only listen to what's going on on the right. Hill. Uh, but you have to go back to your district and hear from your people. And uh, the people are, are still passionate about President Trump and everything that he did for our country. And, uh, and, and they're wanting him to be back here um, because they know that there's still opportunity for him to lead this country into greatness. 
as you uh, look out, cancel culture has become one of the single biggest weapons of the left, and, and it occurs everywhere, business, Hollywood, entertainment, culture, media, you name it. Uh, how are Republicans going to fight back? Uh, it, what is the game plan for ending cancel culture, or is the alternative to create a, a another ecosystem that doesn't have to touch Twitter, Facebook, and all the other things where cancel culture is is ripe? Well, unfortunately, the left doesn't believe in free speech. Uh, they only allow and allowing. Uh, they only believe in allowing speech that is aligned with their narrow-minded political viewpoints, and that's not free speech. And and we've been fighting this fight in America for years. Even look in Colorado, Jack Phillips was, was sued because he refused to bake and design a particular type of cake. Right. Uh, that's not freedom. That's that's fascism. And then where we what we've seen with big tech, uh, big tech has gone too far. It's gone off the rails, and it's past time we take a stand. I support a repeal of Section 230. I support reining in big tech. And the reality is, big tech targets conservatives every single day and acts as a partisan political operative. Who made Facebook and Twitter the arbiters of right and wrong? Yeah, it is remarkable. And, uh, and, the, and the intrusions in our life now are just, they're everywhere. You see them in every, every space. Do you see Republicans better armed going into 2022 uh, to, to take on some of the issues that, that hampered them in the 2020 election, whether it's election integrity rules, uh, cancel culture, unity within the party? Do you feel good about where the party's headed going into what's going to be a very pivotal election? I do. And, you know, you don't need to look to leadership in the conference um, to see what the Repo Republican Party is really doing. I, I, when I go home, no one asks me who's leading the conference, you know, who, who's right. going to, uh, to be the secretary of the conference. Yep. Uh, they ask who's leading on the issues. And, uh, you know, I, I've been so encouraged since I've been here because there are so many people who truly are taking charge on issues. Um, there's a lot that, that we are the tip of the spear on. And then my good friend Thomas Massey, who I co-chair the Second Amendment Caucus with, right. he's leading on Second Amendment issues. We have Congressman Chip Roy out of Texas leading on energy issues. And uh, he has actually discharged my bill um, so we can force it to the floor for a vote. Nancy Pelosi, she controls the floor schedule. And this is our tool in the minority to actually get a Republican bill to the floor. I had my Protecting American Energy Jobs Act, and that reverses Biden's executive orders on our energy. And look what happened when this pipeline was hacked. We should not be in a state of emergency over one pipeline in the United States of America. I have a great alternative. Let's get the Keystone XL pipeline going. And so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to partner with Chip Roy and leading on energy issues. We have Andy Biggs, who's leading on the border. And I, I'm just so proud to have partnered with all of these members on this. And we won't always agree on tactics and on personalities, but as a Republicans, we should always unite around conservative policies. Every Republican knows when you campaign as a conservative, you win the election. But when you legislate as a conservative, the people win. The policies we ran on, tax cuts, deregulation, pro-life, pro-family, pro-American energy, border security, this is what should unite us, and this is what our uh, conference chair uh, should champion. And um, a lot of people, in fact, I, I was with Newt Gingrich just a few uh, days ago, and we were talking about how much similarity there is to 2021 and 1993 uh, in, in terms of the Republicans going back to ideas. And you just you just ran through a lot of big ideas that you and others were championing. It seems as though ideas and policies and getting them done is what the American people are looking for. Is this kind of a 1993 heading into a revolution of 1994 moment for the Republican Party? 
Uh, absolutely. We we need to um, we need to take uh, charge again. You know, just like uh, a, a chairman, uh, a Speaker Gingrich. You know, and and the the seats that we saw flipped with him. Um, the the amount of uh, enthusiasm there was in the Republican Party because of the issues that we were putting forward and the stand that we were taking. Uh, we're not bowing down to the cancel mob. We're not we're not taking a back seat to this woke culture. We're enacting policies that actually help. Uh, American issues, and this is how Americans win. When we when we put forth these policies and this agenda, and I can't wait to take the House back in 2022, so we can actually get something done for this country, uh, rather than uh, just only explaining how these progressive uh, policies that the Democrats are pushing are destroying our everyday life. Uh, you've been a champion of the Second Amendment on on every day I've ever seen you in action, and I think. This election is a lot of people who it's not being talked about in the media, but there's an enormous groundswell of people worried about the future of uh, the Second Amendment and gun rights. Do you think that's a stealth issue that really surfaces in the 2022 election? Unfortunately, it is. It shouldn't be. Um, here's the thing. Even even when I campaigned, I didn't campaign on uh, promising to secure Second Amendment rights. That was a given. Right. And that's what it should always be for the Republican Party. Uh, that should be a non-issue. No one should ever ask ever have to ask me if I'm going to protect their Second Amendment rights, if I'm going to protect their speech, protect their uh, freedom of religion, or, or protect innocent babies in the womb. Those should not be questions that are ever asked of a Republican. That should be an absolute given. I support the Second Amendment, and I don't apologize for it. Americans are tired of seeing conservatives be the tired old politicians who talk about standing their ground, but they cave every time that really matters. Instead of just standing my ground, I'm actively fighting for something. I am fighting for gun rights, and by demonstrating my own personal commitment, to live out my values, I'm able to do more than just offer empty words. We are seeing these uh, gun legislations come through past the House uh, as quickly as possible. Um, thankfully, it does look like they are dead on arrival there in the Senate. But we have a, an out of control, unchecked executive branch right now uh, that is uh, threatening our, our complete constitution with executive action. And this is not something that the American people should have to worry about. But uh, Biden and his regime, they know that they can't get these gun laws passed through the Congress, so they are threatening executive order against uh, the people. Right. And, you know, we have, we, have, we have states that are actually doing a really great job in passing constitutional carry, uh, which <laughs> shouldn't be something that we have to pass. But, uh, you know, I'm really proud of the states who have done that. But then you look at states like mine, like Colorado, and uh, they are, are with a Democrat supermajority. They are going, uh, they, they are passing multiple gun legislation that only infringe further on our Second Amendment rights, including um, right now that we were just testifying in committee yesterday. Um, I was able to join them and speak to this. Uh, they're wanting to make, uh, give, give counties and cities and towns and special districts, like a water district, uh, the ability to uh, ban concealed carry. In their, in, wow. in their jurisdiction, which is, which is, I can't even believe that we're having this conversation in Colorado, uh, but that's where we are. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a really sad day for America. And that's why we have to take the majority back because um, if we have true conservatives leading, this will not be an issue. Oh, you see, you use the word cave, but I know one thing I'm certain of Congressman Bobert is never going to cave. You've, you've created that record already in your short time here in Washington. <laughs> Congressman, I know you're very, uh, Congresswoman, I know you're very busy. Uh, uh, I'll get you back to work. I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing ideas and, and uh, we'll be sure to get you back on soon. 
Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Great to have you. Thank you. Bye. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks. That wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. What a great interview with uh, Congresswoman Boebert. A lot of ideas, a lot of energy, a lot of determination, a lot of grit. That's what defines her time in Congress. And there is a whole generation of these um, uh, young Republican women, conservative women. They're champions of the First Amendment. They're champions of the Second Amendment. They're champions of police, champions of America First policy. And we're bringing them on this show uh, member by member, uh, conversation by conversation, so you can get to meet them, to learn from them, and hear their ideas. A lot of the... Democratic, quote-unquote, superstars are people who make news by being flamboyant, by being hateful, spiteful, uh, cancel culture dominated. These young, uh, new members of Congress that are, are coming out, whether it's Madison Cawthorn or Kat Kamrick or, or Lauren Boebert, um, Claudia Tenney, they're all these newer members. They're all coming out, and their focus is less on rhetoric and more on ideas. Less on personal dispute, more on values. And as I go back, and I've covered Washington for a long time, this moment, as I said to Congresswoman Boebert, is a lot like 1993, where Republicans realized after getting their butt whipped in the 92 election, losing the White House just a few years after President Bush had had a 70, 80% popularity rating after the Gulf War, they lost the White House, they were shocked. They didn't whine, they didn't complain, they didn't infight. They went and created the contract with America, a clear set of ideas. And I think you see in this new generation of Republican women, Republican congressmen, uh, a determination to go back to values, ideas, principles, less personality disputes. Leave that to the Democrats. Uh, leave that to Lynn Cheney, Liz Cheney, who's unemployed as a uh, House GOP leader, at least. They want uniformity, ideas, everyone rowing in the same direction, everyone talking and singing from the same hymnal. And I think you heard that today from Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Very grateful she was able to join our show. All right, folks, we're, we're going to wrap it up for the day. Tomorrow we'll be back with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a very fun guest, maybe some investigative news. Keep your eyes open. We may be breaking some news tonight. And until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this great country of America, as he always has. You've been listening to the John Solomon 
reports podcast from just the news. We're so grateful you have.